Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. I had a whole bunch of people send me this story. Uh, blind side subject or alleges Tui's made millions off lie. What we're talking about is Michael Orr, the football player, and the movie The Blind Side. It came out a few years ago. It was a very, very popular movie. Sandra Bullock was in it. It was a, nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards. I think they won a couple for it. Uh, and he now says that the story that he was adopted by this family wasn't quite what happened. And now he's filed a legal action. And what's interesting is the allegations he's making should be very, very easy to check out, meaning that this is not going to be a matter of he said, she said. It's going to be more a matter of let's just look at the documents and see what the documents say. So I'm going to read you the story from ESPN. Michael Fletcher wrote this. A bunch of people sent this to me. But I have to remind people, in case you don't know this, is that the movie The Blind Side uh, was based loosely upon or inspired by a book by Michael Lewis called The Blind Side. He's also the guy who wrote Moneyball, which was also made into a movie, and a, uh, another book called Liar's Poker, which is a fascinating book. But retired NFL star Michael Orr, whose supposed adoption out of grinding poverty by a wealthy white family, was immortalized in The Blind Side in 2009. He's now petitioned a Tennessee court with allegations that a central element of the story was a lie concocted by that family to enrich itself at his expense. It's a 14-page petition filed in Shelby County, Tennessee Probate Court. It alleges that the Tuies, who took Orr into their home as a high school student, never adopted him. Instead, after he turned 18, the petition says the couple tricked him into signing a document, making them his conservators, which gave them legal authority to make business deals in his name. The petition further alleges the Tuies used their power as conservators to strike a deal that paid them and their two birth children millions of dollars in royalties from an Oscar-winning film that earned more than $300 million, while Orr got nothing for his story in that deal. Uh, and he points out that that story would not have existed without him. In the years since, the Tuies have continued calling the 37-year-old Orr their adopted son and have used that assertion to promote their foundation as well as uh, the mother's work as an author and motivational speaker. The lie of Michael's adoption is one upon which co-conservators Leanne Tui and Sean Tui have enriched themselves at the expense of their ward, the undersigned Michael Orr. Now, he says he discovered the lie in February of this year when he learned that the conservatorship to which he consented on the basis that doing so would make him a member of the family, in fact, provided him no family relationship with the Tuies. The Tui family did not immediately return phone calls Monday to numbers listed for them. Their attorney declined comments saying the family would file a response to the allegations in the coming weeks. Sean Tui told the Daily Memphian website he was stunned by the allegations and said they didn't make any money off the movie, only a share of proceeds from Michael Lewis's book, which was the foundation for the film. That's a little unusual, uh, and it could be true. But you don't often hear of subjects of books paying to be put in a book. Being paid to put in a movie, yes. But being paid to put in a book doesn't happen as often. Sean told the outlet, we're devastated. It's upsetting to think we would make money off any of our children. We're going to love Michael at 37, just like we loved him at 16. Orr's petition asks the court to end the conservatorship and to issue an injunction barring them from using his name and likeness. 
It also seeks a full accounting of the money that Tui's earned using his name. They have the couple pay him his fair share of profits as well as unspecified compensatory and punitive damages. Since at least 2004, and this is from the petition, conservators have allowed Michael, specifically in the public generally, to believe that conservators adopted Michael and have used that untruth to gain financial advantage for themselves and the foundations which they own or which they exercise control. All monies made in said manner should in all conscience and equity be disgorged and paid over to the said ward Michael or um, or was a rising high school senior when he signed the conservatorship papers, and he has written that the two he's told him there was basically no difference between an adoption and a conservatorship. He says, they explained to me that it pretty much means that it's the exact same thing as adoptive parents, but the laws were just written in a way that took my age into account. And that's what he wrote in his best-selling memoir, I Beat the Odds. So, he apparently knew as far back as 2011 that something was going on here. But there are some important legal distinctions. If Orr had been adopted, he would have been a legal member of the family, and he would have retained power to handle his own financial affairs. Under the conservatorship, Orr surrendered that authority to the Tuies, even though he was a legal adult with no known physical or psychological disabilities. And you hear about conservators being appointed to take care of people who can't take care of themselves. It's not often that you hear about them being appointed to somebody who doesn't need that kind of oversight. The petition alleges that the Tuies began negotiating a movie deal about their relationship with Orr shortly after the 2006 release of the book The Blind Side, which chronicled the story. According to the legal filing, the movie paid the Tuies and their two birth children each $225,000 plus 2.5% of the film's defined net proceeds. The movie became a critically acclaimed blockbuster grossing more than $300 million at the box office. And so I'm going to stop right there, but it goes on. But I have to tell you a couple things here. One of which is that uh, 2.5% of the film's defined net proceeds might be zero. And there's a book called Fatal Subtraction, which is all about the lawsuit filed by Art Buckwald against the studios over the Eddie Murphy movie, Coming to America. And in that case, a court ruled that they had used Art Buckwald's story because he'd written a treatment for a, a movie and it was being shopped around Hollywood. And lo and behold, uh, Eddie Murphy's people saw the treatment, turned it down, and then later on, Coming to America came out. Whole story's in that book, okay? And it's called Fatal Subtraction, Fatal Subtraction. And there's a big section where they explain how Hollywood accounting works. And there are actually movies out there that the more money they make, the more money they lose. And Hollywood's been doing this for years. And it's an accepted accounting principle in Hollywood, but nowhere else, that something can make more money and lose it than something that makes less money. It, it, it's, it's, it's weird. And that's, that's the joke with the title, Fatal Subtraction. And so in the case of the blind side, it depends on how they defined net proceeds, because it says here you get 2.5% of the film's defined net proceeds, which very well could be zero. Very well could be zero. But they did also get the lump sums up front of $225,000 each. So according to the allegations, the mother, the father, and the two siblings each got that money. But Michael Orr didn't. Why wouldn't he get money? The family members all get money, but he does not? And so I have to tell you, because some people right now are going to go, Steve, this is still a whole bunch of he said, she said. Oh, oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. At least it won't be by the time it's over. Because here's the thing. If you get involved in litigation... One of the phases of litigation is called discovery. And so if you're litigating with somebody on a disputed point, 
quite often you can get permission to serve discovery on the other side, where they have to answer questions under oath, provide documents they've got, provide witnesses for you to interview, and so on. You can depose them. And so if you want to find out how much money somebody got from somebody, it's easy enough you subpoena their records, bring them in for deposition, and ask them under oath, how much money did you get? And you can subpoena the bank records. There's all kinds of stuff you can do. So it's going to be very, very easy to find out who got what money when and what the sources of that money were. That's easy. That's easy. So right about now, the, you know, the sides are both talking to the press on some level, or they're getting this out of the pleadings on some level. Um, you know, something, we can just wait and see what happens. Because as they go through discovery, they'll find out to the penny what's been paid to the family and who paid it and when it was paid. Because if money was paid to them to appear in the book or to participate with the book, that money would have come from Michael Lewis or his publisher, presumably. And if they got paid to be in a movie or have their likenesses used in a movie, that money would come from the production company or the film studio or whoever put the money up to have this thing shot. So it'll be very easy to figure that stuff out. And so it does sound like there's a problem here. And it's sad because it was such a good story. But then again, a lot of these quote-unquote good stories turn out to be partly spun, if not completely made up. And so most people, if asked, do you know the story of the blind side? They'd say, yeah. There's that really, really talented black football player adopted by a rich white family. And they were the ones who pulled him out of poverty and saw to it that he actually had a decent high school experience, which then allowed him to flourish as both a person and a student, and then also as a football player. And he winds up with a football scholarship and winds up going to a good school and then plays in the NFL. And, and the, the implication you get from all of that is, is that without them, he wouldn't have amounted to anything. And it's a touching story. And I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I saw that one at the theater. And I've seen it since then. And now I look at it and go, okay, I wonder. I wonder. So I'm, I'm a skeptic. I'm always skeptical. So if you tell me a story, I'm skeptical. I'll listen. I'll absorb. And I'll start weighing what you tell me. But when someone comes along and goes, oh, Steve, that story you heard before is completely wrong. Well, that's happened before. Where it turned out it was completely wrong. It's also happened before where it turned out it still was completely right. So we don't know. We don't know yet. But I am a little disturbed because apparently he discovered, at least 12 years ago, when he wrote his own book, that he was not adopted. He was uh, under a conservatorship by these people that he thought were his parents, legally. Um, and that's, that's strange. That's strange to me. And the fact that they did that for him when he was 18 years old, means that all they did was officially take over his business affairs. Whereas if they had adopted him, they'd be his parents. And that does make you wonder, why would you, if you've got a child that you think is going to become something special, or someone who's living in your home who you could adopt, and instead of adopting, you wait till they turn 18 and then you become their conservators. Why would you do that? And that's an interesting question. And so a lot of times, I, you know, people who know this channel and watch enough of my videos know that a lot of times I like to ask these hypothetical questions 
and go back and re-examine something. Why did you do this here? Why did you do it there? And presumably, it's not like they woke up one day after he turned 18 and said, hey, let's adopt him. And somebody goes, well, instead of adopting, let's make him our, you know, uh, let's do a conservatorship. Well, but wouldn't the idea of adopting him have occurred earlier than that? And so why would you wait till he turned 18 and then do the conservatorship thing? That's a question. That's a big question. So if there's full-blown litigation on this and it doesn't settle, there's a good chance that Michael's attorneys will get to ask the Tuies under oath, why didn't you adopt him? And that'll be a fascinating answer, I would think. So we'll see what happens. A lot of people sent me the story. Thank you very much. Again, I am reserving judgment because I don't know. I don't know. But I am, even so, put off a little bit because I was under the impression that they'd adopted him. And apparently everybody says, no, 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 no. They'd never adopted him. They were granted conservatorship over him, which is like, what? So there you go. But again, blindside subject Michael Orr alleges the Tuohy's made millions off of the lie. From ESPN, Michael Fletcher wrote that question. Comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. The difference between stupidity and genius is that genius has its limits.